Welcome back, podcast listeners. Tony, I'm looking down the screen at you today. We're here for episode 177. You're in Sydney, mate. How's the hair doing with the humidity? Killing me, mate. It is absolutely <laughs> killing me, this humidity. Uh, on uh, Monday night, uh, there was basically biblical floods. And as you know, the hotel is just across the road uh, from where we, uh, from our office here in York Street. And virtually I had to swim upstream to get back to the hotel. My suit was drenched, which meant I had to try and iron it dry, which meant it stunk. It was, it was, uh, it, it, it was, and my hair had me looking like Krusty the Clown, this humidity. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, but it, well, but it, I, I mean, I love Sydney, as you know. Even put a tie on for you today, Jamie, and I noticed you haven't done that for me. No, I haven't worn one in a while, to be honest. But well, we're talking. Can't do up your top button anymore, or no, I thought you, yeah, go, you go to the, you go to the gym every lunchtime. <laughs> You're getting buff. Strategies for managing risk will be the topic today. Maybe you should have taken an umbrella with you and managed the rain to. to I actually, I actually bought, I actually uh, bought an umbrella to cross the road. Oh, there you go. I paid twenty bucks for an umbrella. I'm, I'm pretty sure because all the umbrellas went outside the shop, of the, sh- uh, the front of the shop, and I'm pretty sure all the prices went up by around about twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was flooding. Hey, we got seven great top. Seven great questions to get through today, um, discussing strategies of managing risk, and I think it's you know important to discuss this during times that we're going through at the moment. Um, but you know, this is probably a question that these are probably questions that you get as a financial advisor on a daily basis. Yeah, it's it's interesting because one of the, one of the major things that we get, in all honesty, is trying to work with clients' uh, emotions when it comes to investing. Everyone loves seeing an upside in the bull market and everyone's an expert in the bull market and everyone panics and does the exact opposite of what they should be doing in a bear market. So it's actually, and there's so many different uh, styles of emotions, uh, you know, emotional biases when it comes to investing, uh, like the the client that won't sell out because, you know, a stock has dropped, but it'll come back, it'll come back. They're just so tied into that stock, they they keep going, they keep doubling down on it and doubling down on it. And you've, you've seen that time and time again, or, or clients who invest with the fear of missing out. We saw that in cryptocurrency. We saw it in even just, you know, stocks like Afterpay uh, before yep. Square took them over, where people were buying in because have you seen how well it's done? And it's and it, it'll happen this year with lithium stocks. You, you can actually see it. So, you know, in, in when it comes to the resource sector, it's usually last year's winners will be this year's losers, uh, and you'll see people start to pile in. So, coal was a big coal was a big loser last year. Um, with China now um, taking the tariffs off coal and iron ore, you can watch the coal prices will will just start to skyrocket because they'll be buying all of our stuff that we dig out of the ground again. And and lithium has had a great run. Uh, and rightfully so, had a great run. But you know, it's uh, will that continue this year? Certainly not like it has over the last couple. So yeah. that, that's a, that's as an example. So it's just trying to take uh, people's biases out of it. But there's a whole lot of other uh, risks as well, which are the more common risks that people don't know about because they just look at their biases. The things you know, like just for example, yeah, there's market market risk. Yeah. What are the, oh, that, was, that was the question I was going to ask. You know, what are the common types of risk that investors face? Well, there's, I mean, we spoke about emotions. That is one of the major risks. Um, another risk there is the example I just gave of the umbrella. Uh, and when, when I talk, when I'm talking, you know, it, it was raining cats and dogs, as the old saying would go on Monday night. So next door to our office here, there's a sort of $2 shop. 
and the umbrellas that came out the front there were all of a sudden weren't $2 anymore, they were $25. But it's, it was the supply and demand. All of a sudden there was this massive demand for umbrellas, so the price went up. Uh, yeah. there's, and so that's, that's a market risk as an example because I haven't not unfolded that umbrella once since I bought it and walked the 50 meters across the road. So that was $25, but I, I still got drenched from basically the waist down. But that's the, the rain was just virtually flooding in sideways, but uh, it, it, at least my jacket was dry. So, but, but what I'm saying is that's a market risk of supply and demand as an absolute example. The next one is like credit risk as an example. So, uh, liquidity risk. So you have shares, you have shares as an example that, um, you can actually have, uh, you can actually have, um, you know, that fear of missing out we're talking about, but liquidity risk. So people say, oh, look at this share. It's only three cents a share. And, you know, it, it, it could double to six cents. You know, BHP shares don't double overnight. If you have a look at their share price, they 40, it won't go from 45 to $90. But there's liquidity risk. So if that company's only got a valuation of $10 million and no one's willing to buy it, you can be holding a share at six cents, but if the only buyers are in at four cents and you say, well, I'll sell it at six, then it's, then you've actually got that real liquidity risk in the market. You'll never have liquidity risk with, you know, shares like Microsoft or Apple or Commonwealth Bank or BHP or, you know, or, you know, even, you know, companies like Woolworths and things like that. But some of those really smaller companies, there is massive liquidity risk. And of course, inflation. We've seen that, you know, last year. All of a sudden, yeah. you know, inflation hits 8% and we have cash rates at that time at about 2%. So if you're getting a 2% return on your cash rates, uh, paying 5% on your mortgage and the cost of your avocados has just gone up by 8 or 10%, then that is, that's massive. So the value of your dollar is actually decreasing substantially. So if you haven't had a pay rise, but the cost of everything has actually gone up by 8%, then it's, you know, not including things like mortgages, uh, et cetera. That puts a real, real strain, uh, on the budget. So you've got inflation risk as well. So the, the returns in the market, let's say for example, last year was, it was a perfect storm. Bonds were down because of the stimulus that they put in. You had, so as the bonds were down, this, they hadn't been down that far since 1945 after the end of World War II. The markets were down all around the world. Inflation was through the roof. Uh, the cost of living was going through the roof and, you know, and then you have headlines on in the on Monday afternoon in the Australian Financial Review. Economists taken by surprise at uh, at you know the retail spending reduction so much. It's just like, how could you be taken by surprise? No one's got any money. <laughs> so if no one's got any money, they're not going to buy another T-shirt that they don't need. You know, so it's uh they 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 will hold back on their spending. They'll they'll go on a they'll go on a local regional holiday rather than flying up to Queensland for a holiday. That's that's just when when budgets are tight. That's what people do. So I don't know how that headline was. I'd love to know these economists who were surprised by it because they shouldn't have a job if that was the case. So they're the type of risks that investors don't take into account when they're actually looking at investing in the market. Yeah. Now, another big part of our role and, and something we do with, you know, all new clients and when we're reviewing clients, um, you know, quarterly, annually, um, is measuring their risk tolerance and determining where they sit within that scale. So, um, you know, how do we, how do we measure investors' risk? 
Well, I mean, we have a questionnaire on it, so there's, uh, but it's, it's a fairly standard questionnaire in the industry, and it comes out that, for example, they might be a 70-30 investor, and a 70-30 is a balanced investor, and that's 70% growth assets and 30% defensive. That's our version of a balanced investor. Some of the industry super funds, their balanced investor have 95% in growth stocks, which just is like, I don't know how that's balanced, but uh, that's a story for another day. But from that basis is risk comes down to your – we look at it as not how much return you'd like to get. It's your tolerance for loss. So what type of loss can you sustain? So as I said, last year was that perfect storm, and it was actually the worst year on record since the GFC, which was back in 2007. In saying that, though, it's, uh, it was due to ridiculous uh, governments around the world um, in respect to stimulus packages and the amount of money that they put in, which actually wasn't required. But you actually had um, the GFC, of course, was through financial fraud, to put it bluntly. Yeah. Uh, but the bailouts this time round were about eight times more than what the bailouts were during the GFC. But because the money was going to people, there wasn't as much uproar in the press as what there was when money was going to save companies like, you know, AIG and, you know, Merrill's and all the rest of it. So, so that was going and then, you know, AIG was just a classic. They got bailed out by the government and six months later, all their executives got paid bonuses from the bailout. It's just, it's just ludicrous. So, so you can understand why there's public uproar. I mean, I was, I was even, uh, uproar about that. So, uh, I would, I would have been protesting down in uh, Wall Street as well over that one. But that, that's the, that's the thing when it comes to risk is what's your tolerance for risk? So as a, a stable, balanced investor last year for the full 12 months, basically got a negative return of about three or four percent. Now, realistically, when you actually, and the reason being is because bonds were also down. So usually what happens, you have the inverse effect is that if the share market goes down, you're usually looking at bonds are still earning you, say, that three and a half, four percent. So your overall return can still be slightly positive. So they actually have the whole market down. Thankfully, we had a good uh, back end of the market. The last uh, six months of the calendar year was actually uh, volatile, but volatile with an upward trend. So risk always comes back to what is your loss, appetite for loss. Now, think of this, Jamie. You have $10,000 and what's your appetite for loss? How would you feel if you lost 20%? You know, realistically, you got time, you're a young man, you're 31 years old, you got time in your hand, 20% loss, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's your daily wage. You know, it's, uh, so it's, so based on, based on that, you know, you, 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 <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, I just gave you a pay rise uh, then, didn't I? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, geez, I hope my next paycheck's got you yeah, I think when's that tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 uh, but what, what I'm what I'm saying though is it, it's not it's not a concern to you. But let's say now you're um, 70 years old and your portfolio is two million dollars and you just suffered a 20 percent loss. That's 400 grand. Yeah. You know, so how do you how do you make that up? And you're still taking an income from it as well. How are you going to make that up? So if you're taking an income from your portfolio of 100 grand a year too, that's 500 grand. That's 25% of your portfolio that's just been gone. Now we do know that off the back of, um, of, uh, bear markets, we usually have a, a great bull market that usually, well, not so much a bull market, but we usually have a really good year. But if you've just lost 25% in the following year, you get back 25%. You're actually not back at break even. 
because it's twenty five percent of one point five million. So yeah. for you for you losing twenty percent on your ten grand is not detrimental to uh, as someone. So risk tolerance also comes down to they might have been share investors all their life. But now they're taking an income from it. Now they're older. Now they don't have the ability to make that up again. They don't have another form of income. So we usually talk to them at that stage of bringing their risk tolerance back. Okay, so by bringing their risk tolerance back, they might have been a 90-10 investor, but by bringing them back to a 70-30 investor or even using things like annuities, which we'll touch on in a moment, uh, that can actually give them real stability so they don't have what we call sequencing risk. And sequencing risk is what I just explained. Yeah, so I guess... We've talked a lot in previous podcasts about this, but I just want to quickly touch on it as well because, you know, this is what you've been talking about. But investment diversification, how did that help manage that risk? Well, it, it, diversification, you know, can uh, be a furphy. So there's, there, but there's, there's a whole range of different things when it comes to, you got diversification of different asset classes. Well, I guess, yeah, and I guess that statement of don't put all your eggs in one basket is, is sort of, you know, leads to this. Well, that's, that's the other, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, for example, are shares risky? No. Over the long term? No. What shares you buy are risky. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, if you have a, if you have a whole bunch of, you know, shares <laughs> that have no liquidity and, and, uh, you know, highly speculative and highly geared and, uh, yeah, you, you, you could have a great upside and you could get wiped out the next day, you know. So, you know, all the people who went out of fear and missing out and pulled all their money into cryptocurrency. You know, so it's, uh, you know, the end of 2020. Uh, there, there's, you know, and Bitcoin is down dramatically, obviously, which is the largest of them, but some of the others have just been wiped off, never mind, you know, the scandals like with FTX and all the rest of them. I mean, that, that, that scandal is bigger than Bernie Madoff's uh, Ponzi scheme. Uh, it's, you know, but people don't think of it that way because it's crypto. You know, yeah. they've, they've actually lost more money than Bernie Madoff, uh, actually lost for investors. So. Well, not lost, never invested in the first place, just, just lived off. Um, but the, I think the, the thing is, is there's a whole range of diversification. You can diversify your risk by actually having, like as an example, people have heard me say at the moment, we've got more exposure to the big uglies in this market. And the big uglies are the large companies that have huge cash flow, no matter what's happening with inflation and what's happening with mortgage rates or what's happening with uh, tax rates and things like that. They just keep going and keep going. Now, in saying that, though, some of those companies, if they don't pivot, uh, can in the long term uh, be threatened, like what's you know potentially happening at the moment with you know, Microsoft, who's a big ugly ten billion dollar investment into ChatGPT, uh, which could end up being a massive threat to Google, who is also another big ugly. But if Google don't pivot and move into that AI now, Google make all their money off advertising, so they have to change their entire model potentially. So as something like ChatGPT, uh, which now has the backing of Microsoft. Uh, all of a sudden isn't a threat to their entire business model. Now, Google's business model uh, basically wiped out print media because you can actually target advertise now so you don't have to actually mass advertise on TV, radio or print media. You can target advertise through the likes of social media, Facebook, Google, um, etc. So some in Google's in uh, best financial planners in Melbourne, you know, will obviously come up number one. But it's uh, but the basis behind it though is that it's actually very targeted. So you're paying, you spend per click, but you're paying that. Now all of a sudden that model for Google has actually been put completely on its head 
because you can actually just go into chat GPT with no advertising and it'll give you an opinion uh, of, you know, of, you know, best financial planners in Melbourne as per other searches or other comments because AI keeps reading itself and building itself. So now obviously Google has a massive AI engine. And that's how we kept getting fed everything that we uh, that we believe and want and feeds our biases, you know, yeah. ridiculously. But it, it really still comes down to um, is that a risk? So you, you can still have risks in the what people commonly call the blue chips. Uh, you can still actually have risks involved with them. But it really comes down to diversification. Do you want to concentrate a portfolio? Do you want, you know, so we've had a potential client come into us uh, last year um he's an absolute gun share investor um he held one stock that he got a tip on and actually went 100 miles an hour on and did really well out of it but now he he's he, he regards himself now that's a massive bias but what he hasn't done is take into consideration the million dollar loss that he's just had over the last 12 months by actually holding it you know so it's uh as it's actually gone through so these are things that you actually have to be really concerned about as well. And this, so diversification isn't just holding some bonds, holding some real estate, holding some shares, you know, holding some international shares, Australian shares, emerging market shares, tech shares, bank shares. Diversification is actually also what you own in all those different sectors too. Yeah. So I guess some practical tips for individual investors managing risk. Now I know they come to us, but you know, what's some tips to close off um, to you know, help manage that risk within their portfolios? Well, that's my job in half an hour. We've got our investment committee meeting at 10 a.m., Jeremy. Can't give away all right. of our secrets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see what Dr. Math has to say for this month. But um, the uh, there's, it really comes down to knowing where the markets are and actually having patience. So it's, you know, watching, investing $3,000 a year and getting a 7% return from the age of 21 and seeing 7% return on $3,000, that's, uh, 7140, that's 210 bucks. You know, that, that's, that's nothing to be inspired about. But if you keep investing that $3,000, uh, for 20 years, by the time you're actually in, you know, see so 40 and never invest another cent, by the time you're 65, you got, you know, a $1.7 million portfolio. That's time. Yeah. That's patience. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. You know, some people invest, the market goes down, they panic and they will sell and then they'll want to invest when the market's up too high again. You know, it's, it's, so it's actually what, you know, uh, you know, you know, as, as you do know, because you've traveled around the world with me, I'm hopeless with directions. Even on a Google Maps, I, I get lost. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those guys just walking around, staring at my phone and, and pivoting all the time. So I've got no idea where I'm going. I couldn't tell my left from my right half the time. Uh, but, you know, it's when it comes down to if, if I think I should be turning left, I should just go right. Uh, you know, and that's the same with the market. So if the market is your taxi driver is telling you what shares to buy, you should be panicking. But, you know, as the famous quote by Warren Buffett says, it's not until the tide goes out that you see who's actually swimming naked. Uh, yeah. and they're companies that have, do have massive debt and they're the companies, uh, because all of a sudden they're being exposed in a bear market. Do you buy them because all of a sudden they're cheaper? No. But you know, Microsoft has come down. Is that an opportunity to buy? Absolutely. You know, so at, at this price, um, you know, you've got other companies' shares that have gone down, say by Netflix. Should you be buying them? No. You know, you've even seen the big VC funds writing off their investments or writing down. You know, massive amounts of their investments in companies like Canva as an example as well. Uh, so it's, it, it, how, do, how do you actually manage it? It's actually having patience 
taking advice, listening to it. We manage portfolios. You know, as an example, I've been saying it for a year why we have no exposure to property. There's a reason, you know, why we have no exposure to property. People have seen that, well, when I say property, I'm talking commercial and office, uh, but people have seen those go up and they see it and being sold as stability. It's actually not. They're all going to come down. We saw it, we saw it a year and a half after the GFC. We'll see it again when this, uh, when this market comes around, especially because, uh, companies are handing back floors and rents and things yep. like that as well. So it's actually, if the market's down, we buy. If the if the market's great and great opportunities, we buy. Uh, you know, if the market is very expensive, we we take some of our profits off the table and just sit back. And sometimes that's looking. You know, for example, I've said a couple of times now. I believe Australia will go into a ten year boom period. And if Australia going into a ten year boom period, uh, does that mean we just buy the index? Not necessarily, because not every part of the index. You know, when we talk about the index, you've got energy. You've got mining, you've got banking, you've got financial services, you've got tech, uh, you know, on a, in a tight global scale. So, but on that basis is maybe not all of those sectors will actually go up. So we might actually specialise in actually which sectors that we actually want that exposure to. Uh, so the index might go up by 10%, but a certain sector might go up by 16% and it's taken less risk than the index. So they're the things that we actually do. But that's that's our job. That's what we get paid to do. And I guess the last the last one is exactly right as you just mentioned. Call us and we'll help manage that risk for you. That's your job. Yeah. Just <laughs> patient, patience and time. And, and we did an analysis for, you know, a client who's been with us for 25 years. Um, he spoke about his BHP shares and his CBA shares. And I pointed out to him that since 2008, his BHP shares are actually negative 8% in to- sense over uh, over what's that, uh, 14 years, 15 years, and his CBA shares, uh, the only positive in his portfolio are positive 4.09%, not per annum, in total, over 15 years in respect to the actual share price. So since the GFC. So when you actually have a look at something, oh, but what, look at what BHP's done in the last 12 months. But if we took the last 12 months out of it, your BHP shares, you would have been negative 20% for the last 15 years, not including dividends. Um, so it's, it's a basis of total return over a period of time, not just isolating it saying, look how well I've done. Uh, well, you actually haven't because you've held those shares. Well, you, you have done well because you actually have held those shares for 20 years. Uh, but your overall return has been on those individual stocks, two of the largest companies in Australia, has actually been less than the index and less than inflation over the last 15 years. So you've actually gone backwards. That's concentrated risk versus diversification and long-term planning. Tony, I appreciate you taking time out of your trip up there in Sydney, um, and I'll catch you next time you're in Melbourne. Uh, you will catch me. I'm back. <laughs> I'm actually back tomorrow night because I'm coming, not coming back on Friday. I'm coming back on Thursday because I've got a okay. concert to go to, Cowboy Junkies. Well, I'm on the way Friday. I'm up country working from home, so I have to keep seeing you through video. Oh, well, I look forward to not seeing you. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. 
do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Pond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond & Co. and the host of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.